All right, you ready for this? I'm going to speak in a different language for the audience, if you can translate this. Huh. Huh, huh. It's called the grunt test. When your audience is taking this test with your content, they should be able to grunt the answer. It should be so basic. You're listening to Build a Better Wellness Biz. I'm your host, Jeremy Enns. In this episode, I'm talking with Jimmy McKay. In radio for 15 years, was on the air in, in, in a bunch of different markets, loved it. I pivoted, went to physical therapy. I literally took these headphones off, put the microphone down. I was like, I'm done. I'm just going to go do this other thing. I was very excited for it. Just two years into PT school, however, Jimmy attended a conference that would change the course of his career again. I was a second year PT student there, which means I thought I knew a lot, but I didn't know anything. And the presentation was kind of really highlighting that. I'm writing things down. I'm like, I got to Google that. I have no idea what that means. How do you spell that? I was excited. The energy, the vibe from that presenter was freaking awesome. But I left the room going. I didn't really learn a lot. As fate would have it, there was a networking happy hour after the conference. A few beers in, Jimmy spotted the presenters across the room. So I marched on up and said, hey, I'm Jimmy. I'm a second year student. Loved your presentation, but I didn't understand it. They were like, okay, well, let's let's talk about it. So we grabbed another beer, and 15 minutes later, I understood everything they were saying. The concepts were not over my head. It was just how it was being relayed. And somewhere in that conversation, I just slipped back into radio interview mode and didn't realize it. There were some other students and, and conference attendees that were kind of like saddling up to us and kind of like, well, this sounds really interesting. I'm overhearing this. And it was here that the idea for his podcast, PT Pintcast, was born. But when it came to podcasting, Jimmy was just getting started. PT Pinecast is my flagship. I'll talk to pretty much anybody in and around PT, patients, advocates, uh, legislators, clinicians, educators, students, anything. If you're interesting, I'm going to have a beer with you. My second show is I launched, you got to do like a bar exam for PT. It's called the NPTE, National Physical Therapy Exam. I wanted like five minute episodes about like just the facts, man. Like, hey, if you were about to go take this test and you just blanked on Parkinson's disease, I only have five minutes. I just want to pass the test. So we launched NPTE StudyCast about a year and a half ago. We're about to cross the 750 episode mark with about two and a half to three million downloads across the two podcasts I run for myself. On top of the two shows he produces for himself, Jimmy produces three more shows as director of communications for Fox Rehabilitation, a job position he created and pitched to the company's founder, combining his dual passions for physical therapy and media, specifically podcasting. One of the things that so many health and wellness experts and service providers struggle with is taking dense scientific and medical information and packaging it in a way that is not just understandable, but actually highly engaging for their audience. So in this episode, Jimmy shares what he's learned from his career in radio, podcasting, and physical therapy about how to think about creating content that grabs and holds our audience's attention, whether that's through a podcast, blog post, video, or social media. We also talk about how exactly he created and pitched his own dream job, how to think about online content creation for a local clinic or practice, and how Jimmy was able to use the power of storytelling to change one young man's life forever. To start off, I wanted to dive right into Jimmy's advice on what skills we can work on developing to better present our messages in a way that is engaging to our audiences. I think it's the super basic mentality, which is When we're asked to speak, especially in healthcare, because it's scientific, we all of a sudden become presenters and we want to be this photocopy of the the presenter that I saw before. And myself included, I can get caught in this when I'm on a stage with a bunch of people I really respect is all of a sudden I sort of become less me and become more of who I think that the people who asked me to speak wanted to be. 
And then I literally just got to listen to some wise words from some people that I worked with in radio, which is they asked you to do it for a reason. They didn't ask you to become someone else. They really wanted you. So I would say that's probably one of the biggest lessons is what do you bring to this conversation, whether it's a one-on-one conversation with a patient, whether it's a one-on-one conversation with a colleague, an in-service with 10 people, or a giant massive presentation with a thousand people in the audience is remember that they asked you to be you. I would say that's first. And then some basics of communications. I mean, I want to pull my hair out when I watch uh, people present with a slide with a hundred words on it. Man, I can read faster than you can talk. So you've already lost me. I do not have the cognitive capacity to read and listen. I can do one and then I'm ignoring you and then I can come back to you, but you've already moved on. The pause. People understand what you said when you pause and let them digest it. And a lot of times when people are not used to being on a camera or on a microphone, and again, myself included, I need to remind myself of that every once in a while is, you know this information very well. It's cold. To you, it's basic. To the people who have decided to show up and listen to you, don't lose them on the basics because then they're never going to get the advanced stuff. So really slowing down. And this comes from practice, which a lot of people were like, I reviewed my presentation in my head a bunch of times. I know exactly how I'm going to do it. Have you done it out loud? Have you done it to people who don't know anything about what you're talking about? Are you going to lose them? And if the answer is maybe, practice that. So I would say like, really, it's you need to be a good storyteller, even if you're not telling the story, even if you're facilitating the story, like a host, like yourself, being a good facilitator of a conversation takes work, but man, it's powerful. Yeah. And I think that that's something that, you know, we all go around our lives talking to everyone all the time. So anybody thinks like, oh, I can have a conversation. I have conversations all the time. But the difference is you probably most of the time have that person's full attention or hopefully you do if it's one other person and you're not losing that person. But when you're presenting to a group of people, whether that's online over a podcast or, you know, written communication through a blog post or a conference uh, room full of people, then it becomes a lot harder to you know, hold that attention of everyone and, and keep them engaged with you because it's not just one-to-one. There's very little resistance to them just like, oh, I'm gonna just look at my phone here. They lost me on that last, you know, the first minute of the presentation grabbed me and then it kind of like went downhill from there. I know that this is something from your background in radio that you have a lot of experience thinking about is how to hold people's attention. And I've heard you talk about this before. So I'm curious how you think about, you know, breaking it up into small chunks, whatever content it is that you're delivering and making sure that that's continuing to uh, keep people engaged and driving it through the rest of the the content. Yeah. First of all, I'm lucked out because I got a really short attention span. So I like to say, like, if you're losing my attention, I know the audience is shortly behind, so I better keep that moving. You know, I've got the unfair advantage of being a radio host for a while. And I was really taught, you kind of have to have this internal clock built in, which is, is this TBI? Is this tight, bright, or informative? Am I getting to the point? In, is there brevity? Is this smart? Are they learning something? So TBI really was a message that one of my old program directors gave to me. Like, what is the audience getting here? You tell an inside jokes. That's cute, kind of but you lose me on that. Now I, now I feel like I'm not a part of this conversation anymore. You guys or you girls are talking about something I don't really feel a part of. I want you to draw me in. So I think even if you don't have 15 years of radio background, just remember the most important person in the conversation is the audience. Behind that is the guest. Always make sure the guest is engaged, but typically the guest is talking about something they're passionate about, knowledge about. So you've got them. And then last, the last most, you know, last important person part in the conversation is the host. And your job is literally to build the stage that your guests can stand on, that the audience can get things out of. So really, I mean, what I hear you talking about in your Facebook group and there are a lot of the things that you put out in terms of blogs and podcasts is, it's a value proposition. They're not paying for it a lot of times in money, 
but man, they're paying for it in time. And as you mentioned really well, if you lose them in the first minute, it doesn't matter what you did later on. So making sure you respect the audience's time in terms of, am I saying something that's going to be of value to them? Yes, you can have fun. You can joke about it, but make sure like, am I including the audience or am I excluding? I'm going to make sure I'm including more than I'm excluding. So I think those are the things that you don't need 15 years of radio to do that. You need practice, more reps, the better. I mean, I had 15 years of radio before I did an episode of podcast. If I went back to my episode, you know, one, I would cringe right now, right? Because I've learned, I'm continuing to learn, but keeping those basics in mind, am I being engaging? Am I being inclusive rather than exclusive? And am I moving this conversation forward? Which also goes into what you and I both do is we talk to our guests or, you know, have them fill out some sort of form. Like, where is this narrative going to go? Because a narrative has a direction and it's got some lessons along the way, right? I mean, that's what, why do you, why if I say the three bears, you know exactly what I mean when I'm like, don't touch other people's stuff. But you had to take me on a story to learn that instead of just yelling, don't touch other people's stuff. So I think you can turn an interview with almost anybody into something that someone's going to walk away with. I had a, a classmate in PT school. I did the lap of the first 15, 20 episodes of my show where I was cherry picking super famous people, and I'm using air quotes, and really big names. Because even with 15 years of radio, I was like, I need to talk mm-hmm. to the, who's the Dave Grohl of physical therapy? I want to get that guy on my show because he'll bring a big audience. And it did. And then a classmate said, what are you going to do when you've interviewed all the famous people in physical therapy? And then it literally helped me because the light bulb clicked. I was like, man, you can, ha- you can learn something from pretty much anybody if you ask the right questions and get out of the way. Yeah. So I know I've heard you talk about breaking down your, for you, it's for your podcast into 90 second uh, little segments and asking yourself like, okay, is this 90 seconds going to get people to the next 90 seconds? And I've heard you also talk about identifying points of failure, basically in the content you're producing. So of course this in your case is related to podcasting, but this could be for anything. This could be in a paid program. It could be in a blog post. It could be in your social media posts, anything like that. How do you think about these points of failure and like, how do you actually identify them? All right, you ready for this? It's a complicated answer. I'm going to speak in a different language for the audience. If you can translate this. Uh, uh, uh. It's called the grunt test. I didn't come up with it. All right. I've learned this a long time ago, but it was called the grunt test because when you take this test or when your audience is taking this test with your content, they should be able to grunt the answer. It should be so basic that it's so clear. Like, uh, uh. So the grunt test is, what do you do? How does it make my life better? What do I need to do to get it? What do you do? How does it make my life better? And what do I need to do to get it? Your audience should be able to answer those questions with a grunt so easy based on being just exposed to it. And I work, this could be social media content because I've watched as I swipe through friends of mine who are putting together courses or classes or podcasts. And when they talked about, hey, we sat down with Jimmy McKay and he said, nah. He said, what, what am I getting out of it? You haven't told me yet. Who's Jimmy McKay? Is he big enough for me to go, ooh, that's the Dave Grohl? No, not yet. So really, it's like putting yourself in your audience's shoes, specifically if you want to talk podcasters, writing the headline or writing a subtext is probably the last thing you might do, but that's the first touch point with your audience. And a lot of times we're just so... I mean, if you've edited, you produced, you've recorded, you've done everything, you just, I want to be done with this and ship it, man. And a lot of times I was fudging the, the title and I realized that I wasn't completing the grunt test for the audience of why should I spend 15 minutes hanging out with this random podcast? What am I going to get out of it? Not how big this person's uh, following is, not how many letters they have after their name in PT or whatever field you're in. We love that le- alphabet soup after our name. What do I as the audience get in? And that goes back to what I just said a second ago, which is 
Make sure the audience is the most important part of the show. So for me, it's always the grunt tests and I will overcomplicate things. And it's good to have a constant reminder of make it very clear. Do not lose them. And you have a better chance of winning. Jimmy mentioned the importance of having a narrative when it comes to our content. Storytelling is a topic that I personally have a huge interest in and is something that I'm convinced has the power to improve almost every area of our businesses, from our content, to our websites, to our sales pages, to how we actually relate to our clients and the people around us. In his third and final year of PT school, Jimmy was feeling a real lack of clarity around his purpose and his future as a physical therapist. But on a volunteer trip to Costa Rica, Jimmy met a young man named G, and that meeting, aided by some passionate storytelling, would change both of their lives forever. I was a third year PT student. So for people who aren't PTs, that's the last year of PT school. And I still felt like a misfit. I didn't know where in physical therapy I was going to go, what setting, who I wanted to treat. I actually walked into my chair's office multiple times and tried to quit. And she, to her credit, would not let me. And she said, we're going to find a place for you. And as a third year student, we go to Costa Rica and we worked in an orphanage for two weeks. And Trust me when I say, if you have an opportunity to go overseas and work with any sort of charity or any organization like that, do it because you will get more than you give. Even if you give a lot, you are still going to get. So I worked with this uh, young man. Uh, we call him G, just his first initial because he was a patient. And uh, G had muscular dystrophy, which means that as he aged, his muscles were actually atrophying and there was nothing you can do medically. So he had a little bit of wrist movement. He could go back and forth or flex and extend his wrist. And he could turn his head from side to side. But other than that, he sat in a tilt and space chair, which means he couldn't operate it himself. He couldn't move. He was positioned somewhere and was left until someone came and moved him, fed him, changed him, did pretty much everything for, for him. And uh, he was also just one of the happiest people I'd ever met in my life, which is hard to picture because he had so much taken away, but he still literally would exude happiness. And he just wanted attention. And I said, well, I'm here for two weeks and you're fun. He would mess with my crappy Spanish because I was in you know, Costa Rica and I took French in high school, which was a giant mistake. And he was just fun to be around. He had gravity is what I would say. He would pull you in with that, just a giant smile. And he just wanted to hang out, never asked for anything. So uh, spent two weeks with him, uh, you know, taking him to a water park that they had never been to. I got to bring him with the organization to a movie theater for the first time and watch a movie on an IMAX screen. I mean, he lived 15 minutes away from a water park and an IMAX and had never been to either just because they didn't have the means. So it was really eye-opening and I just felt like, wow, these little things that I was able to do were massive for him and for the rest of the kids in the orphanage. And I was like, okay, I don't need to change the world, but if I can change a world multiple times, for me, that's fulfilling. So I started to feel better about physical therapy, but still confused about my place. I didn't know where I wanted to fit. And then I left him. You know, after the two weeks were up, we leave. And there I am behind you know, sunglasses, you know, trying to compose myself, but I'm waterworks behind it. And he is used to people coming and going because he's been in that orphanage and schools will come in with physician's assistants and OTs, PTs, SLPs. And he was just, hey, great to meet you. you know, go Have a great life. And that was it. And uh, after that trip, it was uh, spring break school had arranged spring break. So we stayed in country because you're already in Costa Rica, rented an Airbnb with like monkeys and a pool in the living room and, you know, drinks and food. And there I am on the first night and I'm a you know real life of the party guy. I'm on my laptop while everybody's jumping off the roof into the pool. And I'm just mad because we left him no better than we found him. And that was the part that just like stuck in me. We left him laying there really no better 
then we found him. And I was like, I felt like he had given me so much and I couldn't do anything. So six or seven beers deep, I started a GoFundMe page. And I talked to one of my professors who worked at the National Rehab Hospital in Washington, D.C., who was an expert on power wheelchairs and mobility. I was like, listen, Kelly, carte blanche, what would you get him to change his minute-to-minute existence? I didn't want to get him a signed soccer jersey or something that really wouldn't matter. I was like, what do we do to matter? And she's like, I'll be honest, you're going to need a chair. It's like twenty-five dollars to $30,000. He hasn't been to a movie or a water park. And you're asking to get a BMW down here. But I was so pissed. And that's where I think narrative comes into it. If you're honest and truly passionate about something and you want to tell that story, you're going to tell that story. That'll be compelling. I had just started the podcast you know, six months earlier and I literally turned it into not a telethon, but just a narrative-a-thon where I was like, tell me about him. And I asked classmates who all worked with him, like, you tell me your story. You tell me your story. I made the audience come in and be able to picture G and say, this kid's laying there right now as you're hearing this in the United States can I have 10 bucks? I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do with it, which is where I think people often fall short. I'm going to tell you who I'm going to do it for. And as Simon Sinek says, I'm going to tell you my why. I'm going to beat you over my head with the why. The how, I'll put that down the stream. Just give me 20 bucks. That's all you got to do. So almost I de facto accidentally backed my way into the grunt test is I, I, I made sure you know, you know, what was I doing? How's it going to make your life better? Well, I'll give you the warm and fuzzy because it's going to make his life better. And that's what's important to you. That's your why. And then here's what you do. Here's the GoFundMe page. Kept broadcasting the crap out of it and then got in touch with the wheelchair company, Permobile. And I always say their name because they did such an amazing thing. The price was X. And as we got closer to the price in the fundraising, all of a sudden the price started to come down and we were meeting somewhere in the middle. And this was my third year PT school, as I mentioned. We started the GoFundMe page 66 days before I graduated and we raised close to $30,000 and were done about five days before I put on the cap and gown and walked across the stage. And I literally said, I could never treat another patient my entire life, but you can't take this away from me because we bought this chair. But then, but then my professor comes to me and she goes, so you bought this chair. Great. You're going to be a PT in, in a couple of days. How's he supposed to get it? How's he supposed to know how to use it? How are the people around him supposed to know how to take care of it? So this isn't just throwing 30,000 bucks away. And I said, oh my God, I never, I never thought we'd get here, but what are we supposed to do here? So she said, well, good. Cause Marymount university just paid for plane tickets for you to fly to Costa Rica to give it to him. And now my head's exploding. I'm like, oh my God, I never thought about this. And she goes, yeah, here's the twist. So I grabbed a portable mic and podcasted my way down. I got in the chair in Reagan airport in DC and I wrote it onto the plane because if anybody out there listening has been to a country, sometimes your paperwork gets lost uh, in customs and sometimes your equipment gets confiscated. And I only had 72 hours to teach him how to use this chair. So I rode that thing and sat in it on the plane and would not get off the plane until they brought me that chair. And we handed it to him. And this is like the payoff moment, right? I'm assuming he's going to see this power chair and he's going to know exactly what it is. And oh my God, he's going to start to weep. And there's my payoff. And I said, gee, we brought you this chair. And he said, cool. He didn't understand 100% what that chair was able to do for him. I hadn't thought about it from his perspective. He had chairs his whole life. This one was different. I hadn't shown him why. So we put him in the chair, taken two of us to position him in the chair and mount his arms so they didn't fall off and do everything properly. And I forgot to take the chair out of active mode. And his, one of his arms kind of flopped to the side and his hand tapped the joystick and it kind of lurched to the side. And that's when I saw his face go white and he realized this chair moves. 
And I countered with, no, you move this chair. And that, like, you literally just saw his eyes spinning, like, whoa, 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 whoa. And uh, for the first 15 minutes, he drove like he was, you know, seven or eight beers deep, smashing into walls and guardrails. The next 15 minutes, a little better, a little wobbly. And after 45 minutes of us just walking around and letting him try this, he drove down a hill, through a path, over a threshold, through a narrow door, and sat himself at the head of the table for lunch. So we just told this story over and over and over again and used the narrative to let the audience be a part of this win, let the audience be a part of the story. They got to be the hero and save the day. So I think that's really what we got to do in terms of narrative, which... Um, I would love to say it was strategic from the from the start, but from the start, I was just drunk and pissed. But I took that drunk and pissed and said, how can I add my experience and my knowledge to make this thing come true? And I lucked out that I found podcasting just in time to help him. Yeah, I, I think you mentioned a couple of things in that story that I think a lot of people get wrong. The first was talking about the how and basically how a lot of times people spend so much time focusing on the how of the thing rather than the who and the why. And so really digging into, you know, who this is going to help. And sometimes that might be the person who's reading it and the why it matters. And then you were also talking about basically letting your audience be the hero. And for anybody who's read uh, Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller, that's basically the whole premise of the book is that you as the service provider, as the entrepreneur, as the business owner, as the expert are not the hero and you should not position yourself that way. Whereas the audience needs to feel like they're the hero. And so by you positioning the story is basically these people were able to play a role in a life transforming experience. And like anybody wants to be involved with that. But a lot of times people will present it as like you as the podcast hosts are transforming this person's life. Whereas really people want to feel like, you know, I did that. I contributed to that. Yeah. Miller does such a great job position that anybody starting any business, I recommend that one. And I'm on to his next one, Marketing Made Simple. But if you tell me about that story as he alludes, which is if you're the hero of the story, I don't know where I fit. That's great. You're the hero. Good luck on your, on your journey. But if I need your help, but I can instruct you on how to get there as he uses the Star Wars analogy, be the Yoda, be the Obi-Wan, don't be Luke. Because if you're Luke, I don't know where I fit. And I think I was just so passionate about this one boy that I lucked my way into... I wanted the audience to be able to picture him because I was like, if they can see him, they're not going to give me 20 bucks. They're going to give me 200 bucks. And we saw that. We saw people. I was asking, I would ask 20 bucks, man. Hey, you got it. You got a 20 bucks. Can I borrow 20? And we saw people dropping hundreds and two hundreds. A couple of people wrote a thousand dollar check because they were like, this kid needs a chair now, right now. So I think that that approach can work for anything. It doesn't have to be a fundraiser, but specifically for healthcare providers, if you're the Yoda, if you're the Obi-Wan and your patient, your potential patient is saying, this person sounds like they understand me. They can lead me on a path that will get me to my success. First of all, did you ask your patient what success was? If you didn't, then they're not going to think that you're ever aligned with them. What is success for you? And then be quiet enough for them to answer you properly. So I think that the, the parallels between podcasting and healthcare are gigantic. When I started seeing the parallels, I was like, oh my gosh, these things are perfectly aligned. It's an experience. It's a relationship. Build that relationship and you've got yourself a patient or a listener for life. One of the things I love about content creation is that you just never know where the connections you make online will take you. I've made so many great friends, attracted clients and customers, and even met my girlfriend, Kelly, by creating and sharing content online. That's a story for another time. In Jimmy's case, he was able to turn a podcast interview into his dream job. I'll let him walk you through the story. 
with PT Pinecast, I just like to talk to people who are super passionate and successful about their organizations. And I came across this guy, Tim Fox, who I tell people, and I hope he's not listening. Uh, he's like the Richard Branson of PT. He just got this attitude and even the hair where he's just like, I'm just going to do this stuff. And he opened a, a, a practice with one PT and one patient 20 years ago where he said, older adults typically don't show up to PT. And why is that? Well, typically the older adults who need the PT the most can't get out of their house, don't have the transportation to show up to a clinic. Sometimes getting to the clinic is too much. So he's like, why don't we go to them? Doctors used to do house calls. And he was told with Medicare regulations and everything, you can't do that. It's illegal. So he sat down with a book and he read it and he goes, it actually doesn't say that. I know you think it says that, but it doesn't. I had people look at it and they say, actually, no, you can do this. So he began that practice where PTs, OTs, and SLPs work out of their own cars, work out of their own homes in their own communities and go to older adults' homes to provide physical, occupational, and speech therapy. So I did the interview with Pinecast because I was like, this guy's, I've seen him at conferences and he's literally like Richard Branson all over, like energy. And he just, he cares a lot about the people he wants to treat. And I just thought he'd be a great interview. And he was, it was a killer interview. Fast forward two years later, I graduate, I practice for two years. And now I'm, I'm living at this intersection of communications and physical therapy. I'm treating all day, but I'm going home and I'm banging out two, three episodes a week. And I'm trying to have work-life balance and you know have, have a life outside of that. And that's hard. And then I finally say, man, I'm still passionate about this thing. Like, you know, four years in, what am I doing? Like, let's, let's do this. So I sat down and I say, who needs the most help? And I made a list and I was like, I'm going to have to really convince these people about communications. And when I say communications, I think basic, right? Written audio, video, newspaper, radio, TV, or blog, podcast, YouTube channel. It hasn't changed. It's just the delivery method has changed a little bit. So I was like, I'm going to have to convince these large organizations why this is important. Then I'm going to need to convince them to hire me. And that list was long of who needed the help. And then I thought, well, what's the other side of that list? Who's doing it really well? Who do I think does, you know, social media really well? Who has a great model? Who has something, who has something I want to work with or work for? And that's when I thought about that crazy Richard Branson guy that I met at a conference. And I was like, well, let me reach out. So instead of writing an email to HR or looking for a job post for a job that did not exist, I looked up his email address. And I wrote a job description and I titled it eight things that you need that I do well. And I just listed out the things. Hey, there's an opportunity for you here, 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 here. By the way, if you remember me, here's a link to that episode we did two years ago and it was great. And I'd love to come work with you. Less than a day later, I had a phone call. Like, I'm not sure what's going on, but let's have lunch. And I'm like, that's all I need because I got your attention over lunch. 20 minutes later, I had a job. We didn't even know what the job was. I didn't have a job title. He's like, I don't know what you're doing here but I got the marketing guy with me and he's nodding every time you say something. So that means something. And he's like, you speak two languages fluently. You speak PT and you speak communications, whatever the heck that is. So let's put those two together. So yeah, my role now is director of communications and I'm using air quotes on a podcast. What that means is I get to go around the different departments of this physical therapy practice. And it's different, but also similar to like a lot of large care organizations where there's a lot of different aspects, things going on in the background. And I get to sit and listen in in meetings. It used to be in person and now they're virtual. So I can just kind of pop in meetings and I'm trying to figure out what they're trying to say or communicate, what their goal is and how to get them there. So where are you? Where do you want to go? What's the thing in the way? Are you just being too long-winded? Are you not using the right delivery device? How do we do things within the practice? Because we're in 20 states with more than 2000 clinicians as well as external. How do we get more patients to make sure they know that we can help them in whatever they want to accomplish, as well as how do we hire more clinicians to make sure we can continue to do our mission as we spread across the country? So 
I get to speak at live events. We travel around at, to big conferences, to small events. So I get to do that, whether I'm either on stage or behind the scenes wearing headsets like we are now. Um, I get to help people write. People who say, and we get this a lot, I'm not a good writer, so I'm not going to write a blog. And I, I usher them through using my degree in journalism. I usher them through with a team and say, you're smart and passionate and you're afraid of writing. Got it. If, what if I alleviate that fear of writing? Can you still be smart and passionate? Smarter than me and more passionate. I don't know what you know. And when they're done, the biggest compliment is for a blog, a podcast, or a video is, that was actually fun. That was not what I thought it was going to be, which means I've done my job. My team has done their job, which is we took that barrier, that thing you were afraid of, which actually limits a lot. If you read a lot of Donald Miller and a few other people, Chris Voss was a great book called Never Split the Difference, Negotiate Like Your Life Depends Upon It. That's a great book about communication written by a hostage negotiator, which doesn't make any sense until you read it. But if you alleviate that fear... And then without the fear, there's passion and knowledge. And if you can unlock that as a podcaster, as a clinician, as a communicator, you're going to have success because now you just turned part of your audience into content creators with you. So yeah, so that's my job. I get to uh, take people who are way smarter uh, than me and passionate about things that they're passionate about. And I build a stage to put them on and get out of their way. When it comes to the content, the the podcasting, the blogging, the YouTubes, like you talked about, how does Fox and, and you in particular, as well as the entire team, view that as a part of the overall business plan? So we aim pretty much at clinicians. So a lot of our content we, we produce is not aimed at the consumer. It's aimed at potential colleagues. And the reason for that is you don't really need to market a great product. And you know I'm biased, obviously, because I work with Fox. There's my disclosure. But we've never really had a problem in terms of finding patients. You can always help more older adults. But really, our issue is look at where we are in terms of the world. We have a vast, robust older adult population who wind up living longer and our role is how do we help them live better? So yes, so to answer your question, we aim at clinicians. So a lot of our stuff is clinically oriented. So we give away, you know, you know, continuing education in audio or video or written form. So that's, that's typically who we aim at and want to communicate with. We have a residency and a fellowship, advanced education beyond a, a PT degree. So it's like a year-long program. So I, they said, we need to highlight this to let people know this is a program that costs us some money. It's a lot of attention, but it's great. It's high value. How do we do that? Brochures and, and posts. And I said, well, why not take the residents and fellow and have them write about the things they're learning about? If your residency and fellowship is so great, don't listen to you. You're the guy who put it on. Let's listen to the customers. And when we did that, we, our applications went through the roof. Every single episode, whether it's a Fox colleague or external, I end with, what is your foxtail? Why did you decide to work with older adults? And that shows every single guest's why without me having to say, what's your why? So hearing the whys in an honest and open form is the best recruiting you should be aiming for. It's the number one thing that draws people in for our practice to work with us. Okay. So with a lot of people who are producing content, it's aimed at their customers. And so there's a measurable ROI. Uh, I'm curious how you measure the success of those shows and your other marketing efforts aimed at that audience. For us, it's in terms of how many people go into the funnel to be vetted to potentially be hired. But we are starting a campaign now in a couple different states with Fox to aim at the consumer. And for that, there's two. One as a marketer, phone calls. How many people can we convert them from being a passive consumer of our content to saying, I would like to learn more. I don't want to ask you to marry me, but can we go on a date? Can, can you just call for that? That for me is like the level one. And two, the ultimate goal, ultimate, ultimate, and all the clinicians out there probably agree, hopefully agree with me, completed plans of care. How many people did we get to listen, call us, start care, but really complete? Because that measures the whole thing. That measures, you got me into your product, but your product was so good 
I used it until I was discharged from a therapist. So for us, that those are the two KPIs that we look at, which is how many interactions can we get? How many hit the bottom of the funnel? And then how many, once we hand that baton to our clinicians, how many complete their plan of care? With those marketing campaigns aimed at potential patients, is that through the podcast or what medium are you using for that? Everything. It's like, a, it's like a spoke, right? And the middle is that is the goal and everything points to it. So we'll use like dynamic ad insertion on podcasts. Just a quick explainer. Dynamic ad insertion is basically a technology that allows podcast producers to swap out ads after the podcast has already been published, as well as deliver custom ads based on regional or demographic information. You can think of it like targeted Facebook or Google ads for podcasting. So let's say we're trying to hire. We started in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. So we're kind of, we're good there. So I'll do, I'll change dynamic ad insertion to say, Hey, are you in Missouri or Texas or Michigan? And really speak to the audience or, Hey, Hey, PTs in Michigan, we're talking to you and really talk to the audience. And the cool part, which blew my mind about dynamic ad insertion as a radio guy, I was like, this is what I was used to being able to change an ad on a dime that really changed. Cause you can do that easily on a website, on a YouTube channel. You can change the banner, the clickable adding that to podcasting was huge because in the beginning, the people within Fox were like, well, just change the ad in every episode. I was like, so you want me to go into every episode we've ever released, download it, change the ad, re-upload it. And they're like, is that hard? And I was like, come with me and sit next to me while we do one. And then you, every time we want to change that. So dynamic ad insertion, being able to do that was a game changer for us, but you need to be able to be dynamic. If you're giving me an ad, it doesn't matter to me. It's noise and I will ignore you. But if it talks to me, I'll pay attention. So Obviously, a lot of people who are producing content, their businesses are entirely online. And so there is it doesn't really matter where their audience is with you guys being a you know local or regional kind of business. Is there any way that you think about content differently versus maybe a business who is broadcasting to everyone and location independent? Yeah, I think specifically for Fox and for my own podcast. No, I aim it at profession, right? Physical therapist for, for most of my shows and then occupational therapist or speech therapist. And in the beginning, I would have people, hey, you're the podcast guy. Let me ask you some podcast questions, which I'm sure you and a lot of the listeners who have shows get. And at first I was like, I don't think podcasting is right for super hyper-focused in terms of geography location. And now I've gone 180, which is if you can make the content about me, about solving my problem, and you're being hyper-local about it, I think you can do both. So you know, with Fox specifically, we're always expanding. Like we're adding like five states a year for like, you know, however many states we have left. So I think for us, it's just doing the right things, always the right thing. Give information to people that live in Washington state or California, knowing that, hey, maybe those people will never work with us, but they've got a really good taste in their mouth. So I think for us, it's just continually put out good information. And yeah, there's some, some localization you can do with Facebook ad targeting and you, know, you can do dynamic ad insertion changes. But for me, it's, it's just put good information out that I think the audience would get a good ROI on, good value. We've talked a lot about the benefits of hosting and producing a podcast on this episode, but you don't need your own show to use podcasting to grow your audience. Guesting on other people's podcasts is one of the very best ways to increase your exposure and spread your message, and it's totally doable yourself. When done right, guesting on other shows allows you to get in front of hundreds or even thousands of your ideal clients and pull them back to your own content. I've put together a free mini course to help you understand how to target the right shows for you and make pitches that actually get you booked. To sign up for the course, just head over to betterwellness.biz slash podcast guesting to get the first video in your inbox today. When we left off, Jimmy was talking about how he and his team at Fox Rehabilitation use podcasting as a recruiting tool 
and the benefits of content creation even for local businesses. Given Jimmy's experience across the three shows he produces for Fox, as well as the two of his own, with multiple formats and distinct audiences, I wanted to know what was working best for him right now when it comes to getting in front of new people and growing his audiences. COVID actually gave me something because we're recording this via Zoom. And I used to do as a radio guy, I would do everything via you know phone. I was doing landlines or I was doing you know Zencasters and stuff and wasn't using video. And then I watched Jimmy Fallon. And my mom has called me the Jimmy Fallon of physical therapy. And I'll take it, mom, because uh, that's what I'm going to do. I want to make this fun and informational, right? And I watched Jimmy Fallon flip his show like a lot of people did in the last few months, which is flip it from home. And I was like, man, he looks like he's having fun. And I realized that I love doing interviews in person. When I go to a major conference, I drag all my stuff out because I love this eye contact thing and the body language and what I'm getting out of it. I get my, my guest amped up if I act you know, a little bit hyped. And what I realized is I started using a platform called StreamYard, similar to Zoom, but a little more broadcasting. And I started doing my shows live where I used to do them recorded. I would edit out every um and ah. I was a perfectionist. And then what I realized is I love the live aspect. That's my jam. That's my 15 years of radios. Everything was pretty much live. And I realized that when, when the guests realized we were live, they said, um, and uh, less. And they got even more hype because they could look in the top left-hand corner and go, man, there's 40 people watching us right now. Look at all the comments and little hearts that keep flying across the Facebook live. So I think that was something that really attributed to growth in the last few months. And I'll give you metrics if you want to be specific, we averaged about 70 to 85,000 downloads a month pre-COVID. The first month of COVID, March, without doing video, we hit 92. We jumped 15 you know, and change plus. And then when we started doing StreamYard and doing the, everything live, Facebook Live, and then just immediately released the audio a second later, we broke 100,000 in a month. And that easily had to be it. So I attribute it to a couple of things. Number one, I don't think people are stopping by and watching a whole broadcast. I don't think they're doing it. Some of them are. Those are the people on the right-hand side of that bell curve. They're, they're super fans. They're going to they're gonna listen to anything I put out. People on the far left, I'm never going to convince those people to like me. The people in the middle, I don't think they were watching the entire broadcast, but they were at least like, as they're flipping through on their phone, like, oh, there's that, oh, they're doing, oh, the uh, 30th anniversary of American with Disabilities Act. That's cool. I'll download that later for my drive. So I think it was just one more touch point of a dynamic presentation. I mean, I get people all the time now, like, I had no idea what you looked like because my logo is just this, you know, cartoon pint glass with squinty eyes on it like me. And they're like, this is kind of fun watching how you, and I literally, I kind of open it up. I mean, as we record, I'm in my bedroom. This is my studio. As I jokingly refer to it, people are in here with me. And what that did, referring back to the rest of this episode, that brings the audience into the show. Come see how the show is packed. We'll show you how it's done. And watching people in their real environment, it made it more personable as people, you know, began to watch this as a show versus being passive because they could interact via comments. So I think this stupid COVID thing, which I hate with my entire life, uh, it gave us something which is an, I think, a gigantic opportunity to communicate with people in different ways. I'm curious what you think is something that doesn't get talked about enough that you think is absolutely essential when it comes to building an audience online over whatever kind of content you're using. Yeah. Well, you talk about this a lot in your Facebook group, which is consistency and, and paying attention, right? I mean, literally just making sure that you're conscious enough and thoughtful enough to realize it's not about you. We go back to that narrative. How can I be a facilitator of change? How can I be a catalyst for someone else's growth? Um, people come to me within physical therapy and they say, how do I start a podcast? I want to do this. And I wind up talking people out of podcasting more than I wind up talking them into it. Or at least I say punt. 
It's not right for you right now. I'll help you. I'll take a couple bucks off of you. I'll spend some time. But I want you to walk away with this and say, man, this is valuable. And it can be, it is, um, at the right time for the right people with the right reasons. And if you're juggling six different things, adding a podcast is not the thing that I want you to do. Nail down your other stuff. Because then we can have conversations to talk about all the things that you want to point people to. You got to have them point to something first. But if your goal is build community and a podcast is per- a podcast combined with a Facebook group um, or a clinic or a brick and mortar, brilliant. Obviously, you have tons of experience here with podcasting specifically. Uh, is there any advice that you see people give when they're advising people on how to get started that you think is actually wrong or unhelpful? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. People give this advice, not necessarily for podcasting, but also just for students and graduates, which is um, just start talking, just share content, you know, ad nauseum, just share content, share content. And I'll read some of it and go, that's wrong. Like, did you, did you research that? Cause actually, I mean, I was taught was wrong and I'll go research and go, that's wrong. So a lot of times the advice is say yes to everything and share everything and document everything. And I'm like, well, when everything's important, nothing's important. How do I know what cuts through? So you know, for a while there, I was like, I want my show to be five days a week. I'm going to do, I'm going to do one a day. And then I realized, well, I'm lowering the quality to get to five, this random ass number that I just gave like weekdays. And then I realized like the criteria needs to be set like good. It needs to pass good and be great for me to say yes. If it's not great, it's out. So I think share everything. That's not a great strategy personally. Yeah. I, I love that. So one of the things that I like to say about the show is that it's a show about building a better world that's in disguise as a show about building a better business. So I'm curious when you hear the title building better or that phrase, what comes to mind for you? I'll go full PT on this is that's ultimately people's goal. No matter what you're doing, if you are an athlete and you want to go, you want to drop five seconds off your, off your mile time. If you want to get out of bed without pain, you know, better is what we're striving for as, as clinicians, as healthcare practitioners, no matter what your specialty, you always want to be better. You know, you got three choices, right? Get worse, stay the same or get better. Well, I know which one I want to be, you know, leaning towards. So sometimes we look too big, right? We try to take too big of a bite of better. I want to be a hundred percent better. It's like, Ooh, man, that is a great ambitious goal, but that's hard. But what if you're 10% better, you know, each month for, for 10 months? Okay. That's more feasible. So I think better as a PT, as a community creator, as a podcaster, that should be the goal. And, uh, and if that is your goal, your audience will find you because they want to be better too. We all do. You heard Jimmy talk about small but steady improvement over time. So for this episode's question, I'd love to hear what's something that you're actively working to improve incrementally, getting 1% better each day, week, or month at a time. You can head over to betterwellness.biz slash voice and leave me a voice message, and I'd love to feature your response on an upcoming episode. You can find out more about Jimmy at ptpintcast.com or on social media at ptpintcast. You can also check out Fox Rehabilitation and the three shows he produces for them at foxrehab.org. If you yourself are a physical therapist or are in the physical therapy space, please reach out to Jimmy as I know he would love to connect and maybe even chat with you over a beer on his show. One of my biggest takeaways from this episode was the idea of looking for points of failure in the content I create. And this is something that I am definitely going to be paying closer attention to in the future. If there was something in particular that you took away, I would love to hear about it. You can go to betterwellness.biz slash review and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts telling me what you learned in this episode and how you're going to apply it to your biz. Seriously, the reviews help keep me going and I'd love to hear what you think. 
In the next episode, I'm going to be talking with Andrea Jones of Savvy Social School, all about how to create a simple but effective social media strategy. Andrea is one of the best social media strategists and educators that I know, and she does a fantastic job of reducing the overwhelm and making social media easy. So if social media is something that you struggled with in the past, you're definitely going to want to tune in for this one. As always, thank you so much for spending this time with me. And until next time, keep building better. Keep building better.